0: my Christian brothers and sisters, because we've got a lot to cover today. Be encouraged. Oh, my. Be challenged. Oh, my. Be inspired. They need gassed up. They need review. And get excited. It's a relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who loves with an everlasting, unconditional love. Your love me higher. Release your fears. Praise the Lord. God's wisdom is brilliant. And receive God's love. That's who and what he is. Release your worries. He's faithful. God is faithful. And receive God's truth. These commands that I give to you today, impress them upon your children and talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. This is the Get Excited Show. Everybody in the family needs it. Now with Michael Crawford. Be excited world! Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! And thank you so much for tuning in today to the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast on the Roan Dolph Show. Oh, praise the Lord. I just want to say, uh, you know, to our Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I have such an attitude of gratitude for the incredible uh, little vacation he gave my wife and I on the beach in Southern California for our anniversary. Um, it was just absolutely incredible. And I just, uh, you know, I'm just got what I call jet fueled and, uh, you know, decompressed and just feel so inspired that uh, I couldn't wait to, to get back on the uh, podcast. Uh, as you probably already know, we played a uh, few of the different shows while I was out of town. Uh, but we're back live, and I want you to strap in, get excited, and uh, thank our Heavenly Father for uh, a, a message that He gave me to pass on to you that I really think is uh, going to take you uh, to where you are right now, uh, especially for the the, the ones that uh, you may be uh, have a little discord and not know exactly where the future holds. But I guarantee you this— uh, That you'll know who holds the future by the conclusion of this Teach and Preach today. Uh, And you'll become a better person. You'll definitely uh, will have an incredible, incredible uh, character. I mean, you'll definitely be able to understand what it takes to be a great leader. Um, Again, thank you for tuning in to the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast on the Roald Dolf Show today... Our title is What It Takes to Be a Great Leader Summary of Nehemiah That's right I want you, if you can, get your uh, Bibles out Uh, If you're not driving, of course I don't want you to (laughs) get in any accident But if you're home, I don't know where you are Maybe in the office or home Get your Bibles out and turn with me To the book of Nehemiah Because that's kind of uh, What we're going to Kind of discuss today What it takes to be a great leader Summary of Nehemiah, and as you well know, uh, in our very first study of the book of Nehemiah uh, on the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast, we have discussed that because to me he's such a phenomenal, phenomenal leader, and you know just such a man of integrity and such a man of just you know clear conscience and opens his mind before he opens his mouth, and I don't know I just have so much uh, utmost respect for, uh, Nehemiah. I think out of all the, the great leaders, uh, in Bible times, uh, that he, to me ranks up there, if not the best, uh, second to none. Uh, I mean, he really is. I mean, and we're going to get more into that, uh, over the course of, you know, uh, next month and into the fall and stuff, uh, because it just really will help us get to incline to a whole new, uh, other level of success. Um, So, uh, you know, we, as I said, we discovered, uh, you know, in the book of Nehemiah, the foundation of uh, uh, leadership is character. And I think a lot of you would have to agree with me that it's It's not uh, charisma, but character. In other words, we learn that uh, we don't have to be charismatic, bubbly, and over-energetic to be a leader. No, we don't. Now, mind you, I mean, that is a good quality. I mean, I have been known as Mr. Excitement. Uh, and that's kind of what gets, keeps me going on a uh, 80, 90-day work week. You know, just keep reaching down and pull up the resources that God has given us uh, to stay excited. But we don't, uh, you know, that's not, uh, we don't have to be that. We don't have to be uh, real charismatic and bubbly and, you know, just overexcited to be a great leader. But we do have to have, hear me now, we do have to have character. And Nehemiah was a man who was packed full of full character. Hear me now. Oh, I'm telling you right now, I proclaim it right here on the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast. If there's one man, one man, in the B-I-B-L-E, that was packed full of character, it was Nehemiah. Uh, So today, we're going to pull from his life. We're going to pull from Nehemiah's life seven character qualities, seven character qualities of great leaders. That you and I need to be building into our lives from this day forward. If we want to be great leaders, we need to get them built into our lives. So, let's do this. Let's get right into it. Thank you again for tuning in to the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast on the Ron Dolph Show. Now, the first, the first characteristic of Nehemiah's life was compassion. Compassion. I mean, you don't even... Uh, you know, get four verses into the book before, you know, we're confronted with his compassion. I mean, do me a favor and turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. Okay, where it says, when I heard these things, what things? That the walls of Jerusalem are broken down, that the gates are burned, and that the people are in despair. When I heard these things, I sat down and I, what? I wept. I wept for some days, I mourned and fasted fasted and and prayed before the Lord. You see, my Christian brothers and sisters, I want you to think about this. Remember now, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king of Persia, right? In other words, he had it made. He was at the top of the the leaderboard. I mean, he was the the butler, bodyguard, personal advisor, uh, and prime minister all rolled up into one. So he had the, you know, uh, minster, cushy job, the easy-peasy way of life. And and so he had everything he wanted, from a human perspective, that is. And things couldn't have been any easier or or better than this. And besides, Jerusalem must have seemed like a million miles away. It was a foreign country to him. He'd never been there. It literally was 1,000-mile journey. I mean, two months on the back of a camel. And that's a a double hump camel. (laughs) And yet, think about this. Now, what happens when he hears about the problems? When he hears about the walls and the destruction and the despair of the people? What happens? He's stirred. His compassion is deeply stirred. And he weeps and mourns and, and fasts and prays for days and days on end. My Christian brothers and sisters, Nehemiah is a man of a deep compassion. But please hear this. No matter where you're listening to the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast on your iPhone or your laptop or your computer, hear this. Turn the volume up. Because compassion isn't just found in your head or your heart. It's found in your hands. It's found in what you do. In other words, there are there is no compassion without action. None. Zip. There is no compassion without action, without any kind of application. There's none. Nehemiah was a man of deep compassion because he acted on what he thought and felt. I mean, think about this. He gave up his, you know, Mr. Cushy job to go to a place he's never been. To lead people he'd never seen and to do a job he'd never done. He was a cupbearer not a building contractor and yet he goes and builds this wall and while he's there he decides he decides he's not going to take any salary he's not not even going to, to take any food allowance he's supposed to get no instead he decides out of his own pocket to pay for his men to do public work and for 150 people to eat at his table free every day every day they eat at his table free. why? Because he's come to relieve, relieve these people from their pain and despair, not to add to it, but to relieve it. My Christian brothers and sisters, there's no true compassion without action. You know, I got a good story that really kind of sums up. There's no compassion without action. Take your minds to 1967, where a guy by the name of Doug Nichols was serving with Operation Mobilization in India. And while he was there, he contracted tuberculosis. And in order to be treated, he was forced into a government sanitarium for several months. When he got there, he didn't speak the language, but he did have all kinds of these Christian tracts that were written in the language of the people. And so when he got there, he tried to pass those Christian tracts out. He tried with the patients, with the interns, with the nurses, with the doctors and not a single person, not one, would take one of those tracks. He said, the first few nights that I was there, I, I woke up in this coughing fit. I mean, I woke up in these coughing fits at about 2 a.m. every morning, and he said, one of the nights, I looked across the aisle. I noticed that one of the older men in the ward, who was pretty bad off, was trying to get up. He pushed himself up and he fell back down. He pushed himself up and he fell back down. He pushed himself up and he fell back down. Only this time that when he collapsed on his cot, he started to whimper. And Mr. Nichols said, I don't really, I didn't really think much about it until the next morning. When I woke up and there was this horrible stench, horrible stench. In other words, this horrible stench spread through the whole ward. And it was then I realized what he'd been trying to do. He had been trying to get up and go to the bathroom and he never made it. He said, I woke up to the screams and insults of other patients toward this man. And when I looked at him, the nurses were roughly, very roughly, rolling him back and forth, cleaning him and one of them even slapped him across the face. And he said, with that, the old man just rolled up in a little ball and wept. He said the next night, I again got up with that coughing fit. And when I did, there was that little old man trying to get out of his bed again, struggling to get up and falling back down, struggling to get up and falling back down until finally once again he collapsed in his bed and he started to whimper. He said, I don't light, strong smells, and I didn't want to get involved, actually. But I did. I got up and I went over and I touched him on the shoulder. And he said, when I touched him on the shoulder, his eyes flew wide open with fear. And he said, I kept my hand there and smiled at him. And then he said, when I reached down underneath him and I picked him up, he was so light. He was so light I couldn't believe how tuberculosis in old age had eaten his body away. He then carried him to the bathroom, which he said was nothing more than a dirty little hole of a room that had a dirty little hole in the floor. That was the bathroom. And so he said, I took him over to that little hole and put my arms under his armpits and allowed him to take care of himself after he finished. I picked him up again and I carried him back to his bed. And he said when I got back to his bed while I was still reaching over and laying him down, he reached up and he kissed me on the cheek. He smiled and then he muttered some words that I couldn't understand. But I was sure that he was giving me some kind of thank you. Mr. Nichols said that the next morning I was sleeping soundly and There was a gentle nudge on my shoulder. And I looked up. There was a fellow patient. He had a steaming hot cup of tea for me. After I had taken it, he pointed to one of my tracks. No one had ever wanted one of my tracks. And so I gave it to him. And he said all through the night, I had nurses and I had doctors and interns and other patients coming up to me and asking me for my tracts, asking me for their literature on these Christian tracts. He said several weeks later, an evangelist who knew the language came in and he walked around and talked with some of the people. He discovered that several of those individuals who picked up that literature on that day had read it and they had believed in Christ Jesus and they were saved. Here's the leadership law. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. As a leader, as a leader, the bottom line is love. And you've heard me talk about that numerous days on the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast. The leader, as a leader, the bottom line is you must have love. Do you love people? Do you care for people? Do you act on it? Do you? For everyone that's tuned in today to the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast, do you love people? Do you care for people and do you act on it? I'd like to know, do you? If you want to dialogue this question, have no problem. To, I really would welcome your emails. Email me at getexcited.crawford at gmail.com. That's getexcited.crawford@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Let me ask you this, my brothers and sisters. Do you remember Nehemiah's compassion for the poor when he finally arrived in Jerusalem? Do you remember it? Do you remember his compassion? Well, as we know, he finally got there. And not only were the walls torn down, but these poor people were crying out with four major complaints. First, they said, there is no food. There are food shortages. Two, we're having to mortgage our homes just to buy food. The interest rates and taxes are are just absolutely crushing us. Because of all of this, to pay our bills, we have to sell our children into slavery. My Christian brothers and sisters, when Nehemiah heard all this, when he heard how the rich were ripping off the poor, do you remember what he did? Do you remember what he did? He got angry. He got angry in chapter five, verse six says, when I heard their outcry to these charges, I was very angry. So let me ask you, let me ask you for everyone that's tuned in today to the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast, let me ask you, can anger ever be a loving reaction? Can anger ever be a loving reaction? Absolutely. You betcha. You betcha it can. As a matter of fact, the truth is, Sometimes you and I aren't angry. If we're not angry, we're not loving. My dear Christian brothers and sisters, we need to be angry when people are being hurt by other people, when they're being abused and mistreated, when they're being pushed to the sidelines. We need to be angry. We need to have a righteous indignation raising up inside of us and calling us to action. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse seven says, love always protects, love always protects. It always protects, it always calls us into action. Nehemiah got angry, he was ticked off, believe me. Why? Because he loved, he loved, but that's not all. Let's look at verse number seven. Verse seven says, I pondered them in my mind, in other words, I thought before I acted. And then it says, then I accused the nobles and officials. In other words, after he thought it through, he confronted the sins of the rich. And then he actually calls a meeting to deal with them. My Christian brothers and sisters, his actions to protect the poor are evidence of his compassion. There is no compassion without action. So, number one is compassion, number two, contemplation. Another characteristic of great leaders is contemplation. My Christian brothers and sisters, great leaders instinctively know they need to balance the time they spend with people leading them with the time they spend alone with God being led. If you remember way back in one of the first podcasts of the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast on their own doc, Dolph Show, excuse me, we talked about the effectiveness of our public leaders is determined by our private life. So let me say that again. The effectiveness of our public leadership is determined by our private life. And that those two, without any reservations in your mind, should not be separated. They go hand in hand. Now, if you've been, uh, you know, with me throughout the series, the whole, uh, all the shows of the Michael Cropper Get Excited Show podcast, then you know that Nehemiah is a man of prayer. I mean, he's a man of prayer. Look at all those verses, okay, uh, in the book, uh, in his book about prayer. How much time he spends with God. I mean, there are nine different occasions where His prayers are recorded. Nine times this, in the very short book of Nehemiah, records Nehemiah's prayers. He's a man of prayer. He's a a man of contemplation. Every decision he made, every crisis he faced, every criticism he received, he prayed about it. He prayed about it before he acted. Now, let's look at a couple of examples. Let's look at a couple of examples. First, Nehemiah. Nehemiah in first, Nehemiah is truly one of the great prayers of the Bible. And if you haven't studied it yet, I want to encourage you to do so. Chapter 1, verse 5. Then I said, O oh God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Our God is great and awesome. He is a great and awesome God. There is no other God like him who keeps his covenant of love with those that love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive in your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. My Christian brothers and sisters, he says, I'm praying day and night, day and night. Did you hear that? He's a man of compassion. He's a man of contemplation. He's a man who prayed constantly. Another example is Nehemiah chapter 2 the midnight ride. Remember the first thing Nehemiah did? The first thing he did when he got to Jerusalem? It says he sat in his room for about three days. But at night, when no one was looking, he got out on the horse. He got out on his horse, kind of like the Paul Revere of his day, and he (laughs) rode around the city. Now, what was he doing out there? He was making time to think He was making time for think time. All leaders do that. They make time for think time. And so while he was out there surveying the walls, he was contemplating. He was praying. He was talking to God. He was ruminating, chewing on the stuff in his mind. Do you know why? Do you know why? You and I have so much personal knowledge about people like Nehemiah and Alexander the Great and Napoleon and George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and many, many other great leaders of the past. Do you know why we have so much personal knowledge about them? Because, hear me now, turn the volume up, because they all kept a personal journal. And do you know what a personal journal is? A personal journal is a person's written contemplations, which I hope that you would do that today. If you can, if you're not driving, listen to me. I don't know where you are presently, but if you're at home or in your office and you can do it, get out your notepad. Please get out your notepad and put your written contemplations down that you can reference down the road that will actually be an incredible impact on your life. All great leaders spend time contemplating, contemplating what they have been through and what's contemplating on what's going on and what's going to happen in the future. That's just what we do. Look at verse five, chapter six, excuse me, uh, uh, chapter five, verse six. When I heard the outcry of the poor and these charges, I was very angry. First, he says, I pondered them in my mind. Then he says, I accuse the nobles and the officials. In other words, he says, I turned on my mind before I turned on my mouth. I turned on my mind before I turned on my mouth. I just love that. I turned on my mind before I turned on my mouth. My Christian brothers and sisters, Nehemiah is a man of contemplation. He keeps his cool and before he says anything, He asked God for his perspective. He says, God, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to say? Now, let me ask you, do you ever speak without thinking? Come on, I know you have, because I do it all the time. Nehemiah said, I ponder what I was going to say. Some of you already know this, but every week, every week, I'll have some kind of message on the podcast about how important it is to spend an average of 20-30 hours contemplating, studying, reading, praying, going over, thinking through, and writing and rewriting what you're going to say, because I know I do. Over and over and over again, it's so advantageous to do that. Why? Because contemplation precedes presentation. Contemplation precedes presentation. And once you've got the contemplation down, oh my Lord, praise the God God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The presentation is so easy. Nehemiah is a man of compassion. He cares about people. He's a man of contemplation. He spends time in prayer and in thought. Now, there's a third characteristic of great leaders and that's concentration. Concentration. Nehemiah was a focused man without any doubt in my mind. In other words, he never lost sight of what he had been called to do, even in the midst of all kinds of other concerns and distractions. He stayed focused on the task God had given him to build the wall and this book is filled with example after example of that. So if you ever want to see just how incredible his focus was, please always read and reread the book of Nehemiah because he stayed focused on the task consistently that God had given him to build this wall. But I think the best example of how Nehemiah concentrates, his best concentration comes when in how he handles distractions from the opposition. I mean, do me a favor, please. Do me a favor and look at chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, okay? Look at that. The Sanballat and Shesham uh, sent him this message, and he says, remember me. Remember them. They were, I need you all to remember, they were the opposition, okay, the people that were against him. And then they said, come let us meet together and, you know, uh, plan. Uh, And he's like, oh, no, because they were scheming to harm him. You see, Uh, he's discerned about their motives. So uh, he sent messages back to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a a great project and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and, and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer, Nehemiah says. And then he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know what you guys are trying to do. You're trying to distract and harm me. And so he says, oh no. He says, oh no, four times, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not going to get sidetracked. I'm going to stay focused on what God has called me to do. Why? Because he knew the danger of losing his focus. You know, Charles Kahn in his book, Making It Happen. In his book, Making It Happen, Charles Kahn shares this story. He says, when I lived in Atlanta several years ago, I noticed in the yellow pages under the listing of restaurants that an entry for uh, a place was called Church of God Grill. Well, This unusual name kind of grabbed his attention. It grabbed Charles Kahn's attention. Uh, And so he kind of dialed their number. And all of a sudden, a very cheery man answered, Hello, Church of God Grill. And I asked him how his restaurant had got such an unusual name. And so he told me this little story, Charles Kahn says. He says, well... We had a little mission going on down here. And we started selling chicken dinners after church on Sunday to help pay the bills. Well, people liked the chicken, and we did such good business. Uh, it was an incredible blessing that, that we eventually just we cut back on the church services, and after a while, we just shut down the whole church and just kept right on serving the chicken dinners. And with that, we just kept the name that we started with. And that's Church of God Grill. My Christian brothers and sisters, hear this. Turn the volume up. Don't miss this. Without focus, without intense concentration, even the greatest of causes, even the cause of Christ Jesus can be easily lost. And that's why highly effective leaders keep the main thing. The main thing. They keep that. They keep that concentration. The Apostle Paul said, this one thing, this one thing I do. Notice he doesn't say these 40 things I do or what I dabble in. No, he says, this one thing I do. My Christian brothers and sisters, he keeps the main thing, the main thing. You know, when light is focused, it has a tremendous power, doesn't it? it becomes a laser, but when light is diffused, it has no power at all. My Christian brothers and sisters, the more focused your life is, the more concentrated your life is, the more powerful and effective it's going to be, and the more successful you will become. There's a characteristic, excuse me, of great leaders, concentration, the ability to focus, The fourth characteristic of great leaders, as we look at the life of Nehemiah, as we do the summary of Nehemiah, the fourth characteristic of a great leader is creativity. Creativity. Nehemiah was a very creative person, especially the way he approached his problems. I mean, when we read his book, when we read the book of Nehemiah, we see it over and over and over again, don't we? He gets out of trap after trap after trap. I mean, it's amazing. How? By outmaneuvering his enemies. He outmaneuvers his enemies and he, you know, completes the wall in his 52 days. I mean, who else could do a job like that? He is an amazing creative problem solver. And so let's look at a couple of examples of that in chapter four in the book of Nehemiah. Remember the situation there now. Please keep that on the forefront of your concentration, of your whole thought process. Those who were opposed to the rebuilding of the wall, one day when you least expect it, we're going to come sneaking into your camp and we're going to attack you while you're trying to build the wall, all of his opposition said. And so in verse 13, Nehemiah says, Therefore, I stationed some of my people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and their spears and bows. And so he says, I'm going to divide you up by families. And then a few verses before, he said, I'm going to have you build the portion of the wall closest to your own house. And then in verse 14 through 18, he said, the Lord is great and awesome fight for your brother and wives and sons and daughters fight for them and in verse 16 he said from that day on half of the men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor now what's Nehemiah doing here what's Nehemiah doing here what's he doing in these verses He's developing creative responses to the unique and difficult situations he finds himself in, right? I mean, his enemy, enemies are saying someday when you least expect it while you're working, we're going to sneak up on you and we're going to kill all of you. And So Nehemiah says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Step one, everybody's going to work near their own home and they're going to work where their own family is. Why? Because it motivates you to do your very best, especially protecting your family, right? I mean, think about it. If you're assigned the task of building a portion of the wall closest to your home and the strength of the wall could be the difference between life and death for you and your family, you're going to do your very best, aren't you? Sure you are. That's the principle of ownership and delegation. But there's also a principle of support going out. There's a big principle of support going on here. Because what happens when you work as a family? You're going to be able to support and encourage one another, right? And you're going to be able to challenge one another to do your very, very best. Also, when you're working right next to your home, I mean, it's more efficient, isn't it? I mean, you don't have to walk all the way across town just to get lunch. And finally, Nehemiah says, all right, as long as there is a great threat of attack, then half of the people will build the wall while the other half of the people will stand guard. My Christian brothers and sisters, all these things are just creative solutions to the difficult problems he was facing. Nehemiah says, if life gives you a lemon, then make lemonade. Be creative. You say, well, Michael Crawford, okay, I get it. If creativity is characteristic of a great leader, then that leaves me out, but it doesn't. Hear me now, turn the volume up. You shouldn't even contemplate that, let alone have it come out of your mouth, because it doesn't, and I want you to hear me, so turn the volume up. Creativity is not something you're born with. You're not, you know, predisposed to be creative. No, it's something you develop. It's a skill. In fact, it actually is a way of thinking. A way of thinking is creativity. In other words, you can be trained to be creative. If you're interested, let me give you a couple of, kind of authors and, and books that will help you with your creativity. It'll help you get those creative juices flowing. First, any book of Edward de Bono. Any book of his, believe me, I mean, is a is a, an absolutely incredible book uh, to become a creative thinker. I mean, he has a book called New Think and another one called Lateral Thinking. He's one of the top authorities on creative thinking. And then there's a couple of books uh, by Roger Vonsedge. Uh, One's called uh, a, a Whack on the Other Side of the Head and The other is called A Kick in the Seat of the Pants. (laughs) Both are great books, believe me. And if you want to get your creative juices going, like I said, pick up one of these books because they'll get you thinking outside the box. And that's the goal. And my Christian brothers and sisters, in the day that we live in right now, 21st century, it's very important. Because as the future unfolds, you and I are going to be faced with new challenges and new challenges require new solutions. Creative thinking, in other words. Number five, the fifth characteristic we see in Nehemiah is courage. And believe me, Nehemiah was an incredibly, incredibly courageous guy. I mean, think about this. If you had his position in the greatest empire of that day, Would you do what he did? Would you? Would you pick up and and leave a great paying safe, secure job at the peak of your career in your own country? To go to a country you've never seen, to to work with people you've never met, and to build a wall you've never been trained trained to build. You don't have any skills on rebuilding a wall. Remember now, Nehemiah was no building contractor. He was a cupbearer. I mean, as far as we know, he had never lifted a hammer or laid a brick in his entire life. And yet when he heard what was going on, when God tugged on his heart, he had the courage to say, Lord, here I am. Send me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Now, let me ask you, for all of you that's tuned in to the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast today, how many... How many had the courage to ever do something like that? Lord, here I am. Send me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Tell me. Send me an email. Crawford at gmail.com That's Crawford at gmail.com Let me know. Would you have the courage to do that? I know a number of people who have been called by God to go, mission fields. But you know what? They'd never gone. They didn't. And I know a number of people who have been called by God to develop a certain ministry. But guess what? They never did it. They never did. Nehemiah had the courage to go. And so God called. He went. How about you? Now let me give you just one more example of Nehemiah's courage. There are many others, but let's focus on Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 2. He said, I'd never been sad in the king's presence before. Never. So when the king asked me, why does your face look so sad? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. When the king said that, Nehemiah said, I was very much afraid. He was very much afraid. Now think about this. Put yourself in his shoes. Why? Well, for two reasons. First, in that day, kings didn't like anybody running on their parades. No. And so you could literally be killed for being sad in their presence. And secondly, Nehemiah was very much afraid because when a person came into the presence of the king to make a request, which Nehemiah is about to do, if the request was denied, then that could mean your execution. Because if the king rejected your request, then that meant he rejected you. And he rejected you, that meant that you had no use to the kingdom anymore. And if you had no use to the kingdom any longer, you would be executed. You could be executed. And so my Christian brothers and sisters, no wonder Nehemiah was very much afraid. There's no doubt in my mind he was. But notice, hear me now, turn the volume up. Notice in spite of his fears, he says, yes, I was very much afraid. But right after that, he says to the king, right to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and the the gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said, what is it you want? And Nehemiah, who's prepared, Nehemiah says, as he's prepared, he lays out four things. First, he says, I want you to let me leave your service so that I may not be serving you anymore. Secondly, I want you to let me go to a former enemy of yours and rebuild some walls for them. Walls that you ordered not to be rebuilt. And thirdly, I want you to provide me with passports so that I can get there safely. And fourthly, I want you to pay for it all. Yeah, I want you to pay for it all. I want you to provide the timber and the the bricks for the wall. I want you to provide the horses that will carry me there. And oh, yeah, by the way, when I get there, I want you to provide me with a horse or excuse me, a a house to live in. Yes, I want you to provide me with a house to live in. My dear Christian brothers and sisters, this is one courageous guy. Wouldn't you say? Do you remember what courage is? Do you remember from... A couple of weeks ago when I was discussing courage on the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast. Do you remember? Do you remember what it is? Courage is moving ahead in spite of your fears. It's moving ahead in spite of your fears. And that's what Nehemiah does time after time after time. He moves ahead in spite of his fears. Why? Because he has faith faith that god is going to empower him to do what god called him to do he has faith my christian brothers and sisters if you want to walk on water you've got to get out of the boat you've got to take the risk and so courage is a characteristic of a great leader number six a clear conscience a clear conscience nehemiah had a clean conscience why because he was a man of integrity. I mean, just look, if you would, for those of you who have the Bibles out, please look at chapter five, Nehemiah chapter five. And you'll know after today that one of my favorite passages is in chapter five, verses 14 through 19. Notice what he says here. In the past, the earlier governors, those preceding me placed a heavy burden on the people. They took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. In other words, he says, they were laying heavy taxes on the people to fill their own pockets for their own purposes. Their assassins also, excuse me, their assistants also lorded it over the people. In other words, they did it too. Not only did the governors, but their assistants to the governors. They did the same thing. Their evilness continued. But Nehemiah says, out of reverence for God. I didn't act like that. I devoted myself to the work of the wall. All my men were assembled there for work. We did not acquire any land. And my Christian brothers and sisters, please catch this. Turn that volume up. Because Nehemiah was the most powerful man in all of Judea. And for 12 years he could have done anything he wanted to do. Think about this. He could have acted any way he wanted to act. Do anything he wanted to do. I mean, he could have been a little dictator. A little tyrant. Just like the governors before him. And believe me, he could have amassed an incredible financial and personal fortune. But he won't. He wouldn't do that. He won't do that, Nehemiah says. I refuse to act like that. I refuse. As a matter of fact, during those 12 years, he refused to accept a salary. He refused to tax the people. He refused to buy land for profit. Instead, he personally worked on the wall. He paid his own servants to do the public work at his own expense. And he personally fed 150 people every day from his own pocket. Nehemiah says for 12 years I was the ruler the leader of the country and yet in all that time I didn't take any money I didn't make any money think about that wow, wow how many politicians do we know today can say that I don't know why I see this big round circle zero Nehemiah is a man of integrity, a man with a clear conscience, now How? How did he do that? How did he maintain his integrity for 12 years as a governor? How? How do you do that? Well, verse 15 says, out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Oh, praise the Lord. We serve an awesome God. He said all the other guys in the past may have abused their power, position, and privileges. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. As a result, he was a leader with a clear conscience, a clear conscience. Finally, number seven, great leaders have conviction. Great leaders have conviction. They have convictions. And my Christian brothers and sisters, please hear this because I know a lot of you out there listening to Michael Crawford this morning know how much I love conviction. An opinion is something you argue, argue about, excuse me. An opinion is something you argue about, but a conviction is something you die for. You die for a conviction. Nehemiah was a man of conviction. He had deeply held beliefs that God had called him to do this work, and nothing was going to stand in his way. In fact, let's kind of review the seven different ways that the opposition tried so desperately. So I tried so diligently to stop Nehemiah from building the wall. And you might want to write this down. I talked about it before, but if you have your note played, please do, because this will really be advantageous to you for your future success in leadership. Seven different ways the opposition tried to stop Nehemiah from building the wall. First, okay, they made fun of him. The first thing they did was they made fun of him. They made fun of Nehemiah and his people. They said, you guys are crazy. You can't build a wall with rubble. And even if you can, it won't stand. They made fun of them, laughed at them every second of the day. And by the way, when you're a leader or when you're a Christian, one of the first ways people will try to get you to deny that conviction you have of being a Christian or a leader is to laugh at you, to make fun of you, to giggle at you, to get people to join in and just, you know, try to abuse you in laughter. If that doesn't work, they'll try the second way. And the second is discouragement. Discouragement. The scripture says that the enemy came and tried to frustrate their plans and that there was a a lot of rubble, and that the people started getting discouraged. And then chapter 4 says, when the wall was half finished, they began to get discouraged. My Christian brothers and sisters, hear this. Isn't that the typical discouragement? It usually comes at the halfway point. When you're halfway there, when they're halfway through the project, when you're halfway up the mountain, their enemies tried to discourage them, but guess what? It didn't work. It didn't work. And so next they tried to dreadfully, they tried to make them become afraid, to scare them. They tried to scare them. They said, we're, we're coming to attack you and we're not going to let you know. So you're not going to know when or where but when we do, you're all going to die. Well, that didn't work either because Nehemiah organized for battle. He was incredibly organized for war, for a battle. He said, half of you stand guard and half of you go to work. Half of you stand guard and the other half go to work. And so then they tried. If you'd like to contact Michael Crawford directly for prayer or encouragement, contact him on his private number at 623-203-8259 or send him an email at getexcited.crawford at gmail.com. Be free, be challenged, be encouraged, be inspired, and get excited with Michael Crawford. Your love lifting me higher than I ever...